You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. My name is David, one of the pastors here. And uh, if you've been around for a little while, you'll know that uh, we are going through a series. And the series is walking us through what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it is a sermon given by the smartest, wisest person who's ever lived. And in this sermon, we are receiving an invitation. And the invitation is to flourish, to flourish as human beings, to become the people that we were created and redeemed to be. This is big stuff. Jesus is the author of life, and he invites us to align our lives with him, for when we do so, we live. And this morning, we actually are arriving at kind of an important landmark in our journey. We're coming to the end of a section called, called what? The Beatitudes. Yeah, the Beatitudes. And the, the word Beatitude, if you've been around, you'll know that the word Beatitude is a word that's often translated blessed, but it's, it's a complex word. It could, it could be translated different ways. It could be translated as, as um, instead of blessed, it could be flourishing or um, to be in sync with, uh, with the person and the way of Jesus Christ. It is a word that describes what happens when you and I enter into the world that Jesus is inviting us into. And this morning, we're actually arriving at the very last beatitude. And so what I'd like you to do is I'd like uh, to invite you to stand. And I'm going to uh, read the beatitudes. But again, I'm going to give you a bit of a test. I'm going to read the first part of the Beatitude, and if you're familiar with it, I want you to say the second side. Now, some of you are like, man, I just came to church. I didn't know what a Beatitude is. What is this? Yeah, you're exempt from the test. It's okay. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'll read the first part. I can see some of you are like looking through, preparing yourself. Uh, I'll read the first part, and you say the second part, okay? So here's, here we'll get started. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, let's... let's, let's. Start again. I'll let you look at your notes. Okay, okay. Let's start again. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Good. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Good. Blessed are the meek. Oh, you're all over that one. Yeah, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yes, so they shall be satisfied or filled. I accept both answers. Yes, yes. Um, blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Very good. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God or children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. <laughs> okay, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, we come full circle. I don't know if you've noticed that. That's the very, so it kind of bookends both the, uh, the, the beginning and the end. Then, and then we, we read in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Jesus, this is your word. You're not a philosophy. You're not a worldview. You're not a concept. But you're personal and you're Lord of the universe. We live, we breathe, we have our being because of you. And so we pray that you would speak to us. Give us ears to hear, soften hard hearts, and grant us a willingness to receive from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so this last beatitude, I, I want to point out a couple things just to make some observations about it. Uh, one of the things I want you to notice, and hopefully if you've been around, you, you're, you're seeing this by now, but there's a deep connection between the Beatitudes. In fact, a lot of the Beatitudes follow from the Beatitude before it. And, and last week, I was sharing at, uh, at uh, Rail City and at Ethos and in my Tuesday night class about uh, the Beatitude that precedes this, which is, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And I talked about, uh, last week, I talked about that, here's, here's, the, here's the tough truth about peacemakers, is that nobody likes a peacemaker. Nobody really likes a peacemaker. Why? Because peacemakers, well, they disrupt the status quo. And so, you, so the, being a peacemaker leads directly to this last beatitude. And, and you think about being a peacemaker. Um, have, you ever, um, have you ever been online, on the internet? Um, have you ever been online and there's a big fight going on online? I know it sounds strange that there'd be a fight on the internet, but imagine people fighting each other on the internet, arguing back and forth. And have you ever waded into a dispute and tried to bring peace? Have you ever done that? Somebody like, not a chance, yeah. Because if you ever do that, if, if people are arguing online and you wait in, it's like, guys, 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 can't we just all get along? Can't you see that you both have a, elements of truth? And da, da. How does that usually go over? Not well. And what happens is you have these warring factions that are just, ah, and you stand in the middle, it's like, guys, and what happens? They both look at you, and you standing in no man's ground are toast. Right? Because then all their ire, all their anger gets directed towards you. And so one of the problems with being a peacemaker is that people don't like peacemakers because one, they like the status quo, or two, they want you to side with them. But if you stand on neutral grounds, you end up being persecuted. People will say all sorts of evil about you. They'll revile you. And so this beatitude does connect with the other beatitudes, but in many ways, and I hope you see this, this beatitude is different. It is quite different. It's distinct from the other seven beatitudes. How is it distinct? Well, it's longer, right? It is longer. It's generally agreed that verses um, um, 11 and 12 expand the beatitude that's laid out in verse 10. Um, and also, this beatitude gets quite personal. Because up until now, it's been, you know, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, blessed are those um, who, are, who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's, you know, it's, it's, but in this case, it, it actually gets personal. Because in the second part, it refers to you. To you. This is what's going to happen to you. And the other thing about this beatitude is that it's not really that positive. 
Up until now, it's been what, what happens when Jesus gets hold of our life, right? You know, blessed are those who mourn, you shall be comforted. Blessed are the merciful, you shall receive mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be satisfied. It's all good. It's all very positive. Until we get to this one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so we get a description that's kind of negative. It's a description uh, describing the dangers facing those who live their lives in sync with Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Something is going to happen to those of us who are in sync with Jesus. And there's something else about this beatitude that's interesting. It's the first time that Jesus brings himself into the beatitude. Because you'll notice in the, in the second part, he says, he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And so Jesus says, blessed are you. Congratulations. You lucky bums. You are so lucky when people say all sorts of evil about you on my account. When people lie about what you've done and what you've said. Hey, rejoice and be glad. Blessed are you when everyone hates you. It's a bit strange, isn't it? Now, one other thing I want to point out about this uh, beatitude is I want to point out what this beatitude is not saying. And this is really important. This beatitude is not saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for being really, really annoying. This is not blessed are the offensive people. Blessed are those who say and do and post bonehead things online. That's not what this is saying. Sometimes I hear people say that. You know, I posted this thing and I just, you know, I was kind of mean, but I just wanted to tell the truth and I kind of got into people's face. And a lot of people unfriended me, so I guess I kind of understand what Jesus went through. I'm like, no, no, you're, you're just actually a bit of a bonehead. Um, so it's not saying that, right? And it's also not saying blessed are the religiously fanatical. Uh, people who don't listen, don't engage with people, but use their faith to hammer others, right? <laughs> You've seen the ones online. It just, they drive me crazy. It's like, they'll post something about God and be like, I can't believe, you know, people just scroll by this and not click like. If they scroll by it, they're in league with the devil. And, and I'm just, oh, come on. I just scroll by it. Um, <laughs> but this passage, this, this beatitude is not even saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for supporting a good cause. Our heart, it's a little tricky here. Getting behind a good cause is not identical to righteousness. So what is this beatitude saying to us? Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So what does righteousness mean again? Uh, we've talked about this before. Righteousness is a relational term. We need to get that. It's a relational term. It means right relatedness. And the source of our right relatedness is our right relatedness with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. As, was, as John 
has been uh, praying and, and, and leading us through in worship this morning. And so what this passage is teaching us is that you and I are made righteous. We are righteous when we are in sync with the source of all righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. And when we look at Jesus' life, you'll see a number of things about Jesus' life. You'll, you'll, you'll discover that Jesus, um, he's righteous because he, 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 he is being righteous, he is doing righteousness, and he's speaking righteousness. Uh, as the light of the world, Jesus exposed the darkness of the world, and the darkness was not overly thrilled about this exposure. Jesus lived a righteous life by bringing the wrong types of people to parties, by healing on days that he was not supposed to heal, uh, by releasing people from demonic oppression. There's this one story, uh, you, you may be familiar with it, where Jesus goes to this place and there's this guy and he's totally messed up. Um, he's got experiencing all sorts of spiritual oppression and Jesus delivers him from all this oppression. And the people of the village, when they see Jesus doing this, what do they say to him? Go away. Leave. And Jesus, he speaks righteousness. He says things that, um, like he forgives the sins of, of prostitutes. He, he, he forgives sins of, you know, one guy who's a paralytic. He speaks boldly to his followers and he says strange things. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the good shepherd. Before Abraham was, I am. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And every step of the way, whenever Jesus spoke, whatever Jesus did, somebody got annoyed. And in the end, all these people who are annoyed, their forces got together and they kill him on a Roman cross. So here's the point for us this morning. The more you and I are like Jesus Christ, the more you and I will experience persecution. Now, this should not come as a shock. Jesus gives us plenty of warning on this. John 15, verses 18 to 20, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, he goes, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, and when Jesus says world, what he means is, is, is a way of living as if God does not exist or doesn't matter. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And this is a theme that runs right through the Bible. Like Paul, Paul's, um, <laughs> Paul's giving, uh, he's, he's a guy who wrote much of the New Testament. Paul, he's writing this one letter to this young kind of mentee of his uh, guy named Timothy. And Timothy's feeling a little twitchy because he's in a position of leadership. And Paul says to Timothy, relax, relax, put your mind at ease. He says, quote, if indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. <laughs> and Timothy's like, really? Um, yeah, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And this is a theme, again, it runs right through the Bible. Every disciple, every disciple of Jesus experiences persecution. Everyone's killed except for one. And he's, you know, left to rot on this island of Alcatraz, basically, this island of Patmos. Everyone is persecuted. 
And, and this persecution is, is a theme that runs all throughout church history. And if you study church history, and honestly, who would not want to study church history? Um, you'll, there's an uncomfortable pattern that's formed. Those who are in sync with Jesus, those who are in sync with his teaching, who walk with him, will experience persecution. Jesus promises, he says, in this world you will have trouble. And so, I mean, I, I remember reading um, this one fellow, a guy named Ignatius of Antioch in the second century. And he writes a series of letters to the church. But he's writing these letters from the back of a wagon, and the wagon's being taken to Rome where he's about to be torn apart by wild animals. And he's writing these letters. Powerful letters, I've read them. There's a fellow in the second century, a guy named Polycarp. He was the last disciple of, um, of John. Polycarp, he's an old man at this point, but he's still, per he's killed for his faith. One of the most powerful testimonies is uh, a testimony by um, a woman named Perpetua and her servant uh, Felicity, who are taken into, um, into the arena and, uh, and, she, and she writes a journal. It's, it's actually fascinating. It's one of the few, I think it's the earliest journal written by a woman that, that we, that's still around. It's, it's, it's one of the earliest ones. Anyhow, it's a powerful, powerful story. And she tells how she got to the point of, of, of dying. And, and this carries on throughout church history. A, a woman named Teresa of Avila um, and some of the stuff that she went through and, and her her mentee, a guy named John of the Cross. Uh, there's a Bohemian pastor, Jan Hus, um, and an archbishop in England named Thomas Cramner. A fellow in uh, El Salvador in the 80s, Oscar Romero. In China, Song Changjie. And even up to last year, there's a fellow, a father, a priest in Nigeria named Father John Mark Chetnam. He was just killed last year for his faith. And we're going to go actually in detail in the persecuted church in, uh, on my Tuesday night class. But this pattern, it, it, it runs all throughout church history. And it gets complicated because a lot of the persecution sometimes is carried out by a very corrupt church. And that's where things get really complicated. But it leads to the question, why? Why are those who are in sync with Jesus persecuted? Why are those who are in sync with Jesus persecuted? I mean, typically, we're okay with nice people, right? Typically, we don't persecute nice people, good people. The good people are seldom persecuted. We admire good people. We build statues. We name roads after them. We have no issue with good people. Why do we have no issue with good people? Well, because I think when we look at good people, we're like, I could be like that. Yeah, I may not work in a soup kitchen, but I could if I had more time. But what is it about Jesus? What is it about those who are in sync with Jesus that leads to persecution? Do you know what it is? It's Jesus. Jesus is the problem. You know, on one hand, you look at Jesus' life, it's like, why would anybody have a problem with him? He heals, he, he, he teaches inspiring inspiring things. He speaks words of hope. He heals the blind. He makes the lame walk. He makes lepers clean. He welcomes children. Why would anybody want to hurt Jesus, let alone kill him? 
I think I know why. There's something about Jesus that's deeply disturbing. And I think that's why the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite of the day, they struggled with Jesus. And they struggled with Jesus not because he was good, because if he was just a good teacher, it'd be like, hey, join us. We're good teachers. We're all good. We can all blend together. No. The problem is, is that Jesus was different. And he was different in a way that challenged the very core of their being. See, when we hear Jesus say these words, when we hear Jesus say, apart from me, you can do nothing. When you hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. When you hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We feel twitchy. When you hear Jesus saying, only in me can you truly live. Only through me can you truly be forgiven. Only in me will your life ever flourish the way it's supposed to flourish. We feel uncomfortable. See, the thing about Jesus, and it's awkward, is that when we encounter Jesus, when you really encounter Jesus, what happens is you end up, you end up with a mirror being placed in front of you. And, 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 and all the things, all the facade, that all the things that you think about yourself, you know, I'm a nice guy, I do good things and all that. When you encounter Jesus, you realize who you really are and the stuff that really is inside your heart. When, when, we, when we encounter Jesus, we begin to see ourselves as we truly are spinning our wheels, getting nowhere. And yes, we think we could clean ourselves up and we could be really nice and we can impress people with good works. We could, you know, be generous and we can give money away. But when we encounter Jesus, something happens. Our hearts are exposed. And when our hearts are truly exposed, man, we see things inside of our hearts that we're like, I don't want to see this. And we're exposed to our true selves. And the problem is, is a lot of us, when we see that, yes, it means we need to change. Something needs to change. But the problem is, is we don't want to change. I never wanted to change. I never wanted to change. I didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, but whenever I met somebody who presented Jesus before me, I felt uncomfortable. Because I like being in charge of my life. I thought I was doing okay. Until I met Jesus. You know, I think in our culture, a lot of, everybody's, I think in our culture, people are okay with the idea of God. You say, I believe in God. And they're like, good for you. Good for you, believing in God. Yes. I think everybody needs to, you know, a belief in something greater than themselves. Well done. Believing in God's not an issue. It's a J word that will always mess people up. Jesus will always mess you up. 
People are okay with a God that winks at their indiscretion, but people will have an all, they'll always have a problem with Jesus. That's why Jesus is described as a scandalon, the stumbling block. Jesus says, follow me. Jesus exposes stuff in our hearts that we would prefer to keep hidden. And so we resist Jesus. And in the first century, they resisted Jesus to the point that they hated him and they killed him on a Roman cross. Now here's the challenge for you and me this morning. If you've decided to follow Jesus, if Jesus has gotten hold of your life, the world's not going to be too happy about this. If the world hates you, Jesus says, remember it hated me first. And Christians are persecuted. They have been persecuted throughout history because they're a peculiar people. They know the truth, and the truth will make them odd. They're different. In our world, we were okay with good causes, but we struggle with Jesus. You know, yesterday I had a, a cool experience. I, I reconnected with an, with an old buddy of mine. And this is a guy who was instrumental in leading me to Jesus way back 30-some-odd years ago. And I hadn't seen him for 23 years, and uh, he was coming through town, and, and so we, we connected. And I told him uh, yesterday, I said, you need to know, because he and I, we both lived in China at the same time. He lived in a, a university down the street, and I was at a medical college. And, and I knew he was a Christian, and I couldn't stand him. He was so kind to me, always kind to me. He and his wife, they invited me over for dinner and that. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I hated him. I, and do you know why? Because I saw Jesus in him. And I'd have students, students, because I, you know, I taught at this medical college, and I'd have students come up to me and say, you know, I've given my life to Jesus because of, of, of teacher Jeff. I'm like, well, that's dumb. I said, Jeff doesn't know anything. Why would you listen to him? Listen to me. He's, you know, he's, he's a moron. And yet... Whenever I was with him, I felt my heart being exposed, and I hated it. And th thanks be to God, he was tenacious. He gave me, an, I, I think he ended up giving me three Bibles over the years. I kept throwing them out, and, and then finally he gave me a Bible and a copy of Mere Christianity and then, and, and by C.S. Lewis, and that, that stuck. Uh, and I saw him yesterday, and we, we, we spent six hours in the backyard. We're just chatting, and I just said, thanks. I hated you, but I loved you as well. And that's what happens. And, and it, you read this. I think it's in 2 Corinthians where he says, you know, uh, that Jesus, the aroma of Jesus is the aroma of death. And that's what it was for me until it became the aroma of life. Now, the teaching in this beatitude, now for many of you, who are, you've come to Coquitlam from other parts of the world, and we live in a very multicultural city and a very multicultural church. This, blessed are the persecuted, you know all about this. <laughs> I mean, you left your country because of persecution. You know all about this. 
According to David Barrett, who is the editor of the World Christian Encyclopedia, he says, if we total up the number of Christians martyred for their faith in the 20th century, it works out to be an average of 454,000 a year. A recent study, just from uh, last year, figures that 360 million Christians last year lived in countries where persecution was significant. Roughly 5,600 Christians were murdered last year. More than 6,000 were detained or imprisoned. Another 4,000 were kidnapped. And more than 5,000 churches were destroyed. Now, one of the places where you see persecution happening, and it may come as a surprise, but it's a reality, and it's an area that, as a church, we are investing in, um, is, is Mexico. And so uh, my colleague Alyssa has an update in terms of um, what is happening in, in Mexico and how we as a church are, are, are part of this uh, overall story. So if you want to run that video, that'd be great. Hey everyone, my name is Alyssa, and today for our missions update, we'd like to share with you about the persecuted church in Mexico. For those of you who are unaware, CA Church has been supporting the work of local pastors, such as Rogelio, Luis, or Porfirio, who have been committed to advancing the gospel in central Mexico. Together with their families, they have been reaching many tribes, such as the Huichol, Mexicanero, or Cora people, all of whom who have never heard of Jesus before. In many of these tribes, animism is the predominant religion, where the worship of spirits, nature, or animals is common. The Huichol are a strong and resilient people. They survived the Spanish conquest and are very resistant to change. However, because of this, the persecution of Christians or anyone with a different belief system is common. I was the first Jesus follower. My son and I would invite others to have meals with us. Before eating, we would share the word of God. When we grew to about 80 believers, the persecution began. They put me in the middle of 1,500 people. I told them, look, I have found a God who set me free. I no longer use sorcerers for healing. Jesus is my God. I said so. They got very angry. The crowd wanted to burn me. They wanted to hang me. As Pastor Rogelio shared, in these areas there is a large risk in deciding to follow Jesus. Many new believers who commit their lives to Christ are then kicked out of their communities with little to no belongings and are barred from an already limited food source. Because of this, we as a church continue to support pastors such as Luis and Porfirio. These men are strong missionaries, often traveling far to remote places to share their faith. They are the most effective in bringing the good news to the Huichol communities, as they know intimately of the sacrifices required to live with the hope they found in Jesus. We also contribute to food programs in various locations. These programs don't just help to feed struggling believers, but they also create open doors for new relationships and ways to show God's love to the indigenous people of central Mexico, people he cares about just as much as you and me. And so we encourage you to join us in any way you are able, whether by praying, serving, giving, or going. Just as these pastors are traveling to share the gospel, we want to let you know about our two upcoming mission trips happening in the fall of this year. These short-term teams will be headed to the Copper Canyon in northern Mexico and Ensenada with Town Center. 
you want to learn more about Mexico and the extensive partnership our church has with this country, we highly suggest you join one of these teams. The deadline to register is July 1st. We're so glad we get to do missions together. Everyone, everywhere, all the time. This, this beatitude, this last beatitude, I think is one of the most searching and revealing beatitudes that we've been taught. This one cuts to the heart. And I think it reveals a number of things. Well, for one, it reveals our picture of Jesus. If, you're, if your picture of Jesus is that of a, you know, just a good teacher who could be admired from a distance, then you really haven't understood who he is. If Jesus is who he says he is, it will make you angry. And you will want to reject him. Or you'll turn to him as the author of life. But you cannot be indifferent to him. It's not an option. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'll, sh I'll show you where truth is or I'll show you where life is. He says, I am life. I am the truth. And your life will only work insofar as it's connected to me, the author of life. I think this, this beatitude reveals what we believe about the Christian life. If we think that the Christian life means just to be nice uh, and do our best not to offend people, to be super easygoing and get along with people, well, your view of the Christian life is um, wrong. The Christian life is about transformation. It's not a modest program for self-improvement. And th this beatitude, I think, reveals our deepest need. And what is the deepest need? What, what do each one of us need? We need to be transformed. We need the Holy Spirit God's very presence to transform us from the inside out. We need a new heart to use old language. We need to be born again. And so we need God to transform us from the inside out. Any self-improvement plan you may have is not going to cut it, is not going to cut deep. And finally, this beatitude reveals who we are and how we are to live. The beatitude ends the way the beatitudes began. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this beatitude tells us about what Jesus wants to do in our lives. And what he wants to do is he wants to transform you. He wants to give you a new identity. That your identity is no longer defined by what your colleagues at work say or what your mom used to say about you or all sorts of things. Your identity is now intimately tied to the author of life who loves you so much. And your mission is going to change. And the decisions you make in life, business decisions, where you're going to live and what you're going to do is no longer going to be determined by, you know, how much money you can make or what kind of car they're going to give you or how nice the it's going to be. It's going to be determined. It's going to be guided by, by the Holy Spirit. That God guides us in ways and into places that maybe are uncomfortable but we have to follow him. We end up like the disciples. Hey, where else are we going to turn? You have the words of eternal life. Now, I'll, I'll just say this, and I've said this before. 
many of you are, are quite young and you've decided to follow Jesus. You need to know that your decision to follow Jesus is going to have a cost. Now, we're playing catch-up to a lot of the worlds, and I get it when we talk about persecution in Canada. Like, yeah, go to China, and that's what real persecution looks like, or go to Iran or, or some places in Nigeria. And yeah, I get that. But things are changing here. And if you're a young person, you need to know if you decide to align your life to Jesus, it's going to cost you. It'll probably cost you a promotion. might cost you your job. I mean, I'm, I'm older. I can see retirement. I'm okay. But, <laughs> but if you're younger, you need to know if there's a cost to discipleship. And you're going to feel it in this generation. But when we enter into the story that Jesus is writing for us, our lives will flourish, yes, but we will experience opposition. But Jesus warns us of this. We should not be surprised. In fact, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Really? Rejoice and be glad? Why should we rejoice and be glad? Well, Jesus says, because the closer, the more you experience persecution, the more you experience me. And you also know that the worst that you could ever experience in this life will not be the last thing, but the last thing is what? You shall see the face of God. Right? All of life is heading there. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Persecution, yes, it will come, but will not have the final word. So in the meantime, you and I, we live in the meantime. We walk with Jesus. We pray for one another. We pray for strength for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. And we desire prayer for ourselves as we look at our children, as they grow up in, in, in an increasingly hostile um, context. And we pray that we would be able to live out these beatitudes well. But to do so, we need prayer. We need to pray for each other. In fact, we would like to ask for your prayer. Um, some of you know that there's a group of us that are heading to the Middle East next week. And um, we're going to be um, doing a number of things. There's some building work that's going to be going on, but we're also going to be supporting persecuted Christians uh, from a neighboring country. And so I'll be going there. There'll be a number of us that'll be going there. I'm going to be teaching because I don't know how to swing a hammer, but I'll be teaching. Um, but we need your prayers. In fact, I'm going to invite up those who are on that team to come up. And you're going to ask for your prayer right now, if that's okay. Marty, you're going to come up. Uh, invite our elder Hal Wall to come up to pray for us. There you go. Thanks, Hal. There's in. If there's any pastors that want to join us and lay hands on them or any elders here, I invite them as well. Yeah, we heard all about persecution, and it, it is our privilege as a church here to be able to support this team as they go to support people that are persecuted. And uh, we can share in what they are doing by giving. You can give to our missions fund. You can also pray for them. 
So at this time, I'd like to invite you to join with me in praying for them. Pastors, elders, you can lay hands on them. You can reach out your hand as a way of showing your support, of asking the Holy Spirit to, to touch them. Holy Father, we read and are challenged by your words about persecution. It's, it's not something we want and something that we in Canada that are, just, that are born here and live here have difficulty understanding. But we want to be true, faithful, obedient to your word and the gifts and resources you have given to us. So I'm thankful that you have called these people and this team to minister to these people there. I pray for the arrangements that they would go smoothly, the travel, the sleeping, the eating. I pray, Father, for insight for all of them in understanding your purpose for them. For the people that are building, I pray that they would be able to find the materials and resources and the solutions that come to the, uh, because of the inevitable building problems. I pray that they would know the camaraderie and union that comes from believers working together and that they would strengthen each other's faith. And then for those that are coming from persecuted countries, I pray that they would be encouraged and inspired, that they would find healing for any hurt that they have. For those that are teaching, I pray, Father, for insight and discernment in sharing your word, that it would be specific to what they need. You've said that our gifts are for service to others in the church, and I thank you for the willingness of these people to be obedient and to share their time and their gifts and I pray that they would know the satisfaction and joy of, that comes from obedience and service to you. And I commit them to your hand in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.